Nyata. Hello. It's Alison here from our little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. Now before I begin, please be aware that the presumed audience in this reflection is white, because I'm speaking to the particular challenges for a white congregation living on stolen land. With that proviso, let's begin. Acorn. Dandelion. Fern. Heron. Ivy. Kingfisher. Nectar. Willow. These are but some of the words which were cut from a revised edition of the Oxford Junior Dictionary a few years ago. The dictionary has only so much space and the editors decided that these words were irrelevant to the modern child. In their place they added other words. Attachment. Blog. Broadband. Bullet point, celebrity, chat room, and committee. Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? wondered the 20th century prophet T.S. Eliot. Where is the knowledge that we have lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries brings us farther from God and nearer to the dust. As children lose otter and gain voicemail, we might wonder too, for we have infinite global information at our fingertips. We all know blog, broadband and bullet point. Yet a few of us can tell manna gum from mountain ash. Despite decades of education in Western knowledge, most of us lack even a basic understanding of the particular place in which we live. We feel the air change and we call it spring, erasing the intricacy of the true season. For when we say spring, we think daffodil and little lambkins. It blinds us to the fullness of what is happening here. For at Garroward, it's not spring, it's Petyan, and Pobblebonks are on the move. Eels are migrating downstream. Early termites are beginning to fly, and the platypus is laying her eggs. Meanwhile, swamp paper barks and yam daisy and kangaroo grass are flowering, and cherry ballarts are fruiting and superb fairy wrens are nesting. But we struggle to see all this, because we speak a language from half a world away, and it's the language of genocide. The great forests of Shioka and the cultivated fields of Yam Daisy are long gone. Many of the first peoples were killed, dispersed or forcibly assimilated, and much of the language which describes this particular landscape is lost. And so we struggle to see because language helps us notice and understand what is before us. This concept is easy to understand when it comes to English. In Devon, a wasp was once called an apple drain, and anyone who's been enraged to find hollowed-out apples on a tree knows exactly what this means. The relationship between wasp and apple is observed and described and preserved in the language. But have you ever seen a seuss? S-M-E-U-S-E. -E. It's the gap at the base of a hedge, made by the regular passage of a small animal shoving its way through. But with the word gone, the gap is unlikely to be noticed, let alone understood. The ethno-linguist K. David Harrison writes that language death means a loss of long-cultivated knowledge that has guided human-environment interaction for many years. 
accumulated wisdom and observations of generations of people about the natural world and plants and animals, weather and soil. When we lose language, mountain ash and manna gum all become tree. Interchangeable, replaceable, negligible. And in such a void, intelligent human interaction with complex ecosystems becomes nearly impossible. And it happens here because we are children of empire. We inherited power, not love. We knew domination, not cooperation. And we were taught information, not wisdom. So well might we wonder, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? The writers of the Wisdom of Solomon wondered too. Based in Alexandria in the 1st century BCE, they were writing for the Jewish diaspora, that is, people who, like us, were displaced from the lands of their ancestors. And in this new land, their people were being seduced by Greek and Egyptian ways of knowing, by the ways of empire. In place of God, they were choosing man-made things. In place of story, they chose implacable logic. In place of consultative local governance, centralised control. And in place of wisdom, information. And so the wisdom of Solomon is written for people who were a bit like us. And to these people, the writers sought to describe not knowledge, but wisdom. They write that she is the gift of God and the fashioner of all things, who teaches about earth, sea and sky, the structure of the world and the activity of the elements, the beginning and end and middle of times, the alternations of the solstices and the changes of the seasons, the cycles of the year and the constellations of the stars, the natures of animals and the tempers of wild animals the powers of winds and the thoughts of human beings, the varieties of plants and the virtues of roots, both what is secret and what is manifest. Wisdom pervades and penetrates all things, for she is a breath of the power of God and she orders all things well. In our context, we might say that wisdom grants what we call cultural knowledge, of course, there are many and diverse indigenous ways of knowing, but there are also common threads. Among them, according to Leroy Littlebear, is that cultural knowledge is always grounded in a particular location, and it's also holistic. That is, it assumes that everything is related, land and people, animals, plants, rivers, rocks and weather, and it focuses on how these things connect and change. Unlike typical Western knowledge, which tends to break things down, cultural knowledge links things together. It seeks an integrated way of observing and living in a world which is entirely permeated and ordered by the spirit of wisdom. Now we here at Sanctuary are a people who say we are deeply concerned about climate, and yet most of us would agree that we don't live wisely. We don't have deep knowledge of the land which has been built up over millennia. We don't balance and sustain healthy relationships between all things. We don't live within our limits so that other wisdom-permeated things can also thrive. And our economy makes it nearly impossible 
for change. And so many of us are feeling hopeless and helpless. Given the history of genocide and land clearances, given our complicity in capitalism and our education in empire, it is logical for us to feel despair. The forces seem too powerful and we are so ignorant and so little. It seems there is nothing we can really do. But I insist on hope. And my hope resides in the biblical concepts of wisdom. And why? Because according to the wisdom writers, the multitude of the wise is the salvation of the world. Now before you accuse me of heresy, because actually Jesus Christ is the salvation of the world, take a breath and listen. In the wisdom of Solomon, wisdom is described in many ways which have led many to understand Jesus as wisdom incarnate. That is wisdom made flesh, the word made flesh. You can read more about these connections on the website. Here I simply note that as those in whom the Spirit of Christ dwells, we are part of the wise multitude which brings about healing and salvation. Second, we are assured that when we seek wisdom, God will grant it. We might feel like stupid white people trapped in an economy, ignorant of the land and incapable of learning enough. But I don't believe it. Instead, I trust that when we ask, God will open our hearts and minds to the place in which we live. And I also trust that when we ask, God will give us teachers who show us how to balance healthy relationships between people and place. Wisdom is ours, if only we will ask. Finally, the text implies that land itself is permeated and pervaded by wisdom. And so the land carries an intelligence. And as so many First Peoples teach, it is speaking to us. Ewan Elder Max Dullamunwun Harrison says, It is important to read the land, to be observant of the changing colours of the leaves and the change in behaviour of the animals, so that we become aware and recognise the messages the land is sending us. And I have no doubt that these messages are telling us how to care for the land. And I trust that holy souls, those friends of God and prophets in whom wisdom resides, are listening and sharing what they hear. So our job then is to seek out those voices who are speaking for the healing of the land, primarily, of course, from First Peoples. And if appropriate and if called, to raise up those voices ourselves. My friends, our God is a God of newness, who again and again speaks to diaspora people living under empire. In every generation and in each new context, God's people must find ways to faithfully seek out, learn from and live with wisdom. And this suggests to me one last thing. I am not naive. I don't believe we can restore the landscape to pre-invasion days. Instead, just as the New Testament describes diverse expressions of faith as the gospel spreads, we too are called to cultural hybridity. That is, we are called to find healthy, interconnected ways of living wisely in this place, alert and responsive to the land and its people and the spirit coursing through us all. Of course, for this we all need prayer, a great deal of prayer. 
which is why we have set aside times for intentional prayerful listening to God. But we will also need language. The language of empire has not served this land well. It has not helped build healthy, balanced relationships between people and place. Yet English is a great cultural hybrid itself, and it's open to manipulation and borrowing and change. With God's help, we can find new words and resurrect old ones to help us observe and describe life in this place, here and now. Apple drones, they're alive and well in Kaji, but so are wing keel, koala, and muthung, blackwood. We can dig out and use true names, indigenous names, which teach us more about the place, and where words are lost or cannot describe the hybrid space in which we live, we can find new words, or use old words in new ways. For example, if there's no other word, or if the word is lost, perhaps smuse can be reframed. Perhaps it can move from hedgehog to echidna, from the hole in the base of a hedge, to the tunnel, which is formed by the regular passage of an echidna, shoving its way through clumps of tussock grass. My friends, both we and our words are in God's hand, as are all understanding and skill in crafts. May God grant us wisdom in our praying and in our speaking, in our seeing, in our understanding and in our living, as we learn to love this locality ever more deeply in all its particularity and in all its wholeness. And as we take our place among the multitude working for the healing of the earth, may we always remember that against wisdom, evil does not prevail. Thanks be to God. This piece quotes T.S. Eliot from Choruses from the Rock, which was published back in 1934. We also quote Robert McFarlane and K. David Harrison, as quoted in Landmarks, which was published by Penguin in 2015, and Leroy Littlebear and Max Dullamunmun Harrison, as quoted in Big Picture Wisdom, metatheorizing ancient, scientific and indigenous wisdom perspectives for global environmental leadership. And this paper was published in the Journal of Spirituality, Leadership and Management in December 2013. The biblical text is the Wisdom of Solomon 6.24 and 7.15 through 8.1. There's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org. And Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website. This recording was made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation. In the last few weeks, the air has changed. The breeze is warm, the rain is strong, the emu constellation is brighter in the sky. Whales have been in the bay with their newborn calves. Many wattles are still flowering. Billy buttons are emerging and the bush is bursting with life. The peace of the land, the wisdom of the land, be with us and speak to us all. Amen.